Welcome to another episode of the High Power Archery Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to talk about release execution. And in doing so, we're going to cover a couple of topics that are so-called bad words in the archery realm, if you will. Um, One of those is target panic. And what you can do so you don't get it. You know, what it actually is and how to get rid of it. There's a lot of different ways, and on the internet you'll find 5,000 different opinions on what it is and how to get rid of it. We'll try to simplify that for you and make it easy to understand, and if you find yourself with this ailment, hopefully give you a way on how to cure it. We're also going to discuss, you know, how people execute their shots. A lot of people... And there's a word, another out there, another word out there called back tension. What is back tension? How do you do it? Do you need a special type of release for it? So that's the topics we're going to cover today. So I guess we're going to start out with what is release execution? Release execution to us is defined as how you fire your shot. So that has a lot of different pieces in it. And some people believe that you drop your your pin or your crosshair on the target and you grip it and rip it. Just fire away. And that will not work at all. And a lot of times people wonder why, you know, they shoot great when they're at the range. But like in a hunting situation or a competition situation, when it's all on the line they fall to pieces. And even with my students that compete in Joad and other 3D competitions out there, you know, there's a big difference. They could be the best in the world, but until I get them into actual competition, competing against other people, real life, high pressure situations, they don't really learn to manage their shot and how to do it properly. Because like I said, when no one's looking, you're a backyard champion. When people are looking, you fall to pieces. That has to do with shooting under pressure. So, let's start out by discussing how you should be executing a shot. Well, that all depends on the type of release that you have. Or some would say that anyway. And it really doesn't. Because no matter what type of release you have... You should execute them all exactly the same. So it's not like you buy one type of release and you have to shoot it this way. You buy another type of release, you have to shoot it that way. If you learn your principles of execution, you can apply them to any type of release that you have. In covering this topic, I'm going to just make something very clear. And you'll hear me harp on this sort of thing in a lot of my podcasts. And I like to just bring it out again and that is that if you have an inexpensive release and you're shooting poorly you're not going to cure that by going out and buying the most expensive release in the world I don't care who tells you that if a salesperson tells you that this will make you an automatically better archer it's not true and it's not going to happen prime example of that I have a few customers of mine, who I've also helped. Now, mind you, there's a difference between my students and my customers in that anyone who 
ask me for help, I will gladly give it to them. And some people who come to my shop, they'll tell you, you know, they came in to do this or get something done. And I spent another half hour with them working on their shop process with them or working on something they were doing, how they're holding the bow wrong, something like that. So that's what I define as a customer. You know, a student is someone who's coming for dedicated lessons. That sort of thing. But there, there is such a thing as being a good student no matter what. And you don't have to be a dedicated student of mine. What you, If you're a good student, just means that if someone tells you about something and they have an authority, they have a knowledge on how to do something, being a good student means just keeping your ears open and accepting what they're telling you and trying to see if it actually works for you. Unfortunately, some of the people that I work with are not good students. Um, it's their way or the highway, and they, no matter what, they just shrug off anything you tell them. And continue to do the same thing over and over. And then you wonder, wind up wondering, you know, well, why am I still shooting terribly? Well, because if you had listened in the first place, maybe this wouldn't have happened. So, when they come to me and I say, okay, look. They're like, oh, I want to I get this, uh, this new release that I just saw from Trueball or something like that. I'm like, why? Oh, because it's, it's the best thing in the world and I know this is going to help me. I'm like, okay. I'm a true ball dealer. I can order the release for you. It would not be the responsible thing for me to say, yeah, this is going to help you because I know for a fact it won't. So if you, um, if you go ahead and throw a brand new engine in a car, yeah, it's more powerful, more efficient, but if you got four four flat tires in that car, it's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to do anything. It's the same thing with this. So, like I said, one in particular came to me and said, I want to buy this thing. I'm like, okay, knock it out the box. Don't care. See how it works for you. And the next week, he had sold it to somebody else. Said, no, nah, you know what? It wasn't for me. I'm like, mm-hmm. And if you keep that attitude, nothing's ever going to change. But if you learn how to use your equipment, no matter what it is, you'll do much better. So let's start with how you should be executing a shot in the first place. Now, we know in other episodes I've discussed the different types of releases, whether you have a wrist strap release, a handheld release, a tension-activated release, which is supposed to be the cure-all for everything. To me, it's not. Um, actually, tension releases are good to learn how to do everything the same way, but in the end, you can still freeze up on a tension-based release. And then there's also the back tension releases, as we call them. Um, those are otherwise referred to as hooks. And some of them have moving parts, some of them don't, but they all have the same engineering behind them, which is basically you have a hook and a sear on there, or just a hook. And as you rotate your hand when you're pulling back, the hook slides and slides and slides, and eventually releases the loop. Regardless of what type of release you're going to use, they can all be fired exactly the same. And it's a very simple system. Um, I'm not going to claim that I developed the system. Like everybody else, everyone learns from someone else. I've gone to different seminars. I've learned from other coaches. That's the one thing. You always have to have an open mind to learning something. You know, a good prize fighter will tell you that they're most, most effective if 
they don't go in there thinking, I'm just going to blow this guy away. They go into the fight thinking, I have to be on my best. I have to do everything the right way because there's always somebody else out there who might be better than me. So even as a coach, I always have to say, keep my mind open. Be, be welcome to listening to other people's way of doing things because there's always going to be somebody who's got something or has tried something that works better. Now, the idea that, is, that there is behind a coach is we apply different techniques to different students, but the bases are always the same. So getting back to how you should execute. Well, it's pretty, it's actually, if you break it down to it, it's really, really simple how you should execute and slamming the trigger when you see it on the target is not going to do it. So there's a couple of things that make that not work. Joel Turner is a guy who, he's like a SWAT team trainer. He's run various SWAT teams before. He has his own training system online now. I've taken the training system from him. I know how it works. It makes perfect sense. And one of the things that he's going to tell you is that when you're aiming and when you're ready there, you have to be able to stop the shot or you have to understand the basic principle is that when you fire, your body anticipates an explosion in front of you when the bow goes off. You can liken that to when someone is shooting a rifle and then they're looking and they're they're aiming downrange to get that crosshair right on there. And you could tell right before they pull that trigger, like they flinch or their, their eyes get ready because they're in expecting something to happen. Archery is no different. There's an explosion of the bow as it goes off, all that released energy, that vibration. And your body will brace itself for something to, to come down. The idea behind it is if you applied a technique where it's controlled, your body is not scared because it already knows what to expect. And all you're doing is applying more and more pressure becomes what we call a surprise shot. Now, people are going to say, well, what do I want to have a surprise shot for? Because a surprise shot, I'm never going to know what's going to go off. That's the idea. Part of your brain is working against you, and that's the one we have to, we have to trick. But you have to maintain control of the rest of things. So, you know, Levi Morgan came out with a video about how to always concentrate on the middle and that's exactly true once your eye gets to that part of the target where it hits the bullseye your eye should stay focused on there and i covered this in another podcast your eye has to stay focused on it burning a hole through the center of that target don't worry about the pin moving back and forth because it's always going to return if you just try to touch it off the middle the minutes in the middle you're going to have the anticipation of the shot and by the time you see it in the middle that transmission time between that and when your physical functions your motor functions take over you're going to miss it and you're going to be one way or the other but you're not going to be accurate and more importantly you're not going to be repeatable so what are we doing now with the shot well the first thing has to do is you have to build the machine the machine involves your hand your arm and the lever which is your elbow pulling backwards now, all releases should be shot. I'm going to say it like this. All releases should be shot with a back tension method. Not a grip it and rip it, a back tension method. 
Now, some people define back tension as, well, I'm pulling back all the way and I'm just rotating my hand, rotating my hand, rotating my hand, consciously rotating it until I know it's going to go off. Well, if you're consciously rotating it like you have a click on a, on a back tension release and you know that that click is, when you hit that click, you're just about to go off. Well, guess what? You hear the click, your body's bracing for that explosion and you're still going to screw it up. So you're still trying for that surprise shot. Um, so where are we going with this then? If we don't, we don't want to anticipate something, but we still want to surprise, you know, how do we do that? So you'll find out if you pick, take your hand and put it in front of you, that if your pinky and your thumb are tense, okay, your, your hand becomes like a claw. And if they're tense, you have a hard time moving the rest of your fingers. Well, when they become tense and rigid and your hand is rigid, what'll happen is you should keep your hand flat, but if your hand is curved, you can't really curve it the same way every single time. So you want it to be nice and flat and relaxed. The whole hand is relaxed. If you're shooting with a wrist strap, it's even more critical that your hand is relaxed. People say, well, why? Because I'm not holding the, the, the release part, really. I'm pulling it with my wrist. Well, if your hand's not relaxed, your wrist is not going to be relaxed. And then that creates all kinds of different problems with angles. So what you want is your hand relaxed, your wrist relaxed. You have the release. You're holding your release in the middle of your digits on your hand, on the three fingers, just to say if it's a three-finger release. And you're going to make sure that you're just pulling back with that. People are going to wonder about it slipping out. You're not opening your hand. You're hooking your hand still and have the rest of the hand flat, and you're pulling back with it. If you've got a wrist release, you're going to do the same thing. You're going to relax your wrist, relax your hand, put it right on there, and your fingers have got to be relaxed, your hand's got to be relaxed, and then you hook your, your index finger onto the trigger. Some people, I tell them, well, you should hook a different finger onto the trigger because your index finger is probably the, the most you know, antsy finger of all and tends to twitch, and you should still not be on that very fingertip. You should still be within a knuckle. You should not be on a fingertip. The fingertip is a very unreliable method of shooting. So now you've got a flat hand. You've got a relaxed wrist, relaxed fingers. You're, you're on the trigger. And what you're going to do is, if you're on a thumb trigger, you're going to hook your thumb onto the trigger, and you're going to leave it on there. So you're not holding pressure with it, but you just hooked around it. And then as you pull back, now, for some people, it takes them a little time to learn this. You can actually start to rotate it. But you'll notice that if you're pulling back in, in tension and pulling back with your arm and pulling your shoulder blade into your spine, your rear shoulder blade into your spine, what's going to happen is as you pull back and you're staying relaxed with that hand, your hand, because of the angle at which you're pulling back, is actually going to rotate on its own. You don't have to rotate it yourself. And what happens is when it rotates, but you're still keeping that thumb wrapped around the trigger, it actually forces the trigger to go off. And it's a very smooth motion. It's not jumpy or anything. You don't feel like you froze on it. The good thing about doing it like this is that you can stop anytime you want. And that's part of the trick. You have to learn how to stop. So there's different ways to train us to do that. Before we get to that, we're going to get into why we're discussing this whole thing of you know, a tension-activated type of release, you know, where we're putting the same execution technique onto every type of release. If I pick up 
a, you know, a handheld release, I pick up a wrist strap, I pick up a release that's not mine. I can show people how to shoot it exactly the same way if I apply the technique exactly the same. And most of the time when we get to, into these discussions of, well, I want to buy something better, or, you know, and I tell them it's not going to work for them, they have to learn the technique first, you know. And I ask them, like, why are you so hot to do, do something? Oh, I'm shooting crazy all over the place. And then I watch them shoot for like two or three minutes. And I see for myself that they have the worst cases of target panic I've ever seen. One individual that I work with a lot has the God most awful target panic I've ever seen. And it's clearly evident. And when I videotape them, because I won't say it's a he or she, but when I videotape them with my phone, I will just go ahead and put the camera right on their, right on their hand and show them for themselves. And they still insist they don't have target panic. I'm like, okay, so let's not call it target panic. That dirty word that's out there. People are like, target panic. I don't want to get that. I don't even want to talk about that sort of thing. I don't want it to happen to me. It's like a disease or something like that. It's not. Target panic is not a disease. Target panic is not an ailment. Target panic is a failure to use your system. And the result of that is target panic. So what happens in target panic is people associate the middle of the target for when they should, when their pin reaches there, for when they should fire it off. And they think that they can control it, that they can make their, their trigger so light that if they breathe down at that moment, it would help. It doesn't. And there are even some pro archers who would tell you, oh, this is what I do. No. Serial punching or whatever, you know, punching the trigger or on-demand execution of the trigger, that sort of way. I mentioned before, there's maybe two people I've ever seen who could do it reliably and accurately. Both of them are professional archers. Um, one has been doing it for so long that, you know, he can just get right on it and you'll physically see him punch it. But the same guy, when he has a bad day, He'll tear his whole equipment apart trying to make something work. And it really has to do with sometimes you just don't have it when you're trying to shoot that method. So what we want is to develop the most consistent manner of execution you could possibly get. So getting back to this now, how is every release the same? And why, why is an attention-activated release the end-all, be-all of releases that they say can help you? Why aren't those any good? Um, a lot of people think... When you set up a tension activate release, and I'll give you an example of one, there's um, the Carter Evolution. And that one, basically, it's a three-finger release, or four-finger, depending on which one you got. And all you're going to do is set the release to fire at a poundage, which is a couple of pounds above your holding weight. So let's just say that your, your holding weight is 14 pounds on your bow which is high. It's more like a target shooter's holding weight because we like to hold a little bit more weight on the on the shot. So if your holding weight is 14 pounds, we might set it for 16 or 17 pounds. And what'll happen is when you're when you get into your release form and you're an anchor and you're you get right on the target, when you got it where you want it, then you're going to start pulling to apply more tension to that release so that once it hits 15 and then it hits 16 if that's what it's set for, the release will go off. It's kind of like having a heavy spring that won't break until you hit that right that right pressure. Um, but if you are not 
A, relaxed in the right places, like I said, your wrist, your arm, your forearm, your fingers, you will find that that release can be punched exactly the same way, or even worse, will just not go off. It's like, oh, there's something wrong with the release. It's hanging. It's like, it's not hanging. It's the way you're doing it. And, you know, John Dudley, he makes another copy. He's got a customized copy of that release, and it's called the Silverback. And basically, it's a Carter Revolution cut down to two fingers, and it's got um, different springs on the inside. But basically, it's the same exact release, but fired the same way. He describes how to shoot it. And the one thing he'll say is, if you don't fire it the right way, it's going to hang up on you. Or it'll feel like you're holding 100 pounds trying to get it to go off. So again, it has to do going back to the same technique. You must be relaxed. You must have all of your system in line in order for it to go off. Because what happens with a, with a tension-activated release, when you're tense, okay, on your hand or in one part of that system, because now we have to talk about your hand, your wrist, your arm, your elbow, your forearm, shoulder, all is one part of a system. If any one of that part of that system is not perfectly aligned, perfectly perfectly relaxed, it be, it breaks a chain. And when that happens, things like the rocker is out of position, meaning that the tension release is now in a different release angle that'll stop it from going off. A lot of things will happen, causing it not to go off when you want it to. So again, you can fire that with proper technique and make it go off every time. But there's no need for a release like that because you can apply that to any release that there is. So we've gone over your wrist release, your tension activated, your back tension releases. Back tension is something that you don't see a lot of people hunting with. Um, the idea being that you don't want that panic when you're taking aim at a trophy animal that you work so hard, in some cases spent so much money to go on a hunt for. So people say, well, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to make sure that there's nothing to question on this. And they get, they get a back tension release. They practice on the range. They're tearing it up on the 3d range and in practices and they get on that animal and no matter what. You know, I don't care how long you've been doing this as a hunter. I, okay, besides being a coach, I've also been hunting and teaching others to hunt, you know, for over 35 years. And what happens is you get the jelly leg. You get the huffs. You get the, oh my God. And no matter who you are, it's going to happen to you, how much experience you have, um, Early in the season, you see a doe and your heart starts pumping. You know what I mean? Not just Buckzilla walking by. So some people say, I'm not taking a chance. I'm going to go get me a back tension release. Learn how to shoot this thing. So that when when the situation comes along, I'm not going to have any kind of possibility of missing. They do that. And what happens? Well, they're relying on the back tension and pulling slowly. And then they adopt that. Well, if it doesn't want to go off, I can go ahead and I can just rotate my hand faster and that'll get it to go off. Well, guess what? Congratulations, you've just learned how to punch a back tension. Not something that you want. Because the same way you would have missed with a wrist release or a thumb release, you're going to miss with a back tension. Or worse, 
the situation is going to make it so that you're trying to rush it and it goes off when it's not supposed to early or it won't go off at all. So again, even with a back tension, you have to apply you have to apply a good shot execution to make it do what you want. So I tell people, doesn't matter what equipment you have, you need to learn your process. You need to learn the technique and you need to learn how and when to use it. So like I shoot field and I shoot target, you know, outdoor target and we're shooting 50 to 70 meters. I had a big target out there, but the wind is a problem in some cases. Um, when we're shooting at nationals in Arizona, that wind in the morning is so bad blowing from left to right. You have to aim a couple of rings off just to get it into the center. So in those cases, like if I rely on pure, pure tension, you know, the typical tension release where I'm pulling back and I'm slowly rotating, slowly rotating, it would never work. However, if you set the machine, the machine being your hand and your arm, this is now the machine, to go off, what you're doing is you know that when you you know it's coming right there and you know you're almost ready, then all you're going to do is you're going to pull harder. And when you pull harder, it makes the shot go up faster. I can stop that pull anytime I want. And that's where the control technique comes into this. So here's a test to know if you have the panic. Take your bow. Let's say you're shooting at a target. Okay. I want you to Draw the bow, put the pin in the middle of the target, and in your head, I want you to count to 10. And then I want you to start executing your shot. And then I don't want you to shoot it. I want you to let down. In cases of extreme target panic, I will tell you right now, people can let down. They're like, well, once I get it back, I got to send it. Yeah, you've got the panic. You have to train yourself out of that. So, again, the basics are very simple. A relaxed arm, a relaxed wrist, relaxed fingers, flat hands. So the blade of your hand should be flat. You're not, if, it's a, if it's a handheld release, you're not holding it under the same knuckles that you would be holding a, a pair of brass knuckles. You're in a knuckle past that, which is closer to your fingers. So basically, if you, if you hold your hand up and you fold it over then it's going to go right in there and that's where it's going to be. So it's going to be the first, that first indent sitting in that thumb pad between the first and the second indent going from the, from the tip of your finger down. That's the best way I can describe it without actually showing somebody. Um, once you've got that system in there, all you're doing is keeping everything relaxed and you can imagine like you have a chain running through your arm and through your forearm and going to your back. And what you're trying to do is as you pull your elbow back, you're tightening the chain, ever tightening the chain. And like a ship with an anchor, the ship can stop its anchor coming up halfway. You should be able to stop that anytime you want. That's how you demonstrate that you have control. Okay. So these topics that I'm talking about, like the tension and different types of releases, there's a thousand and one different facets, but they all boil down into the same basic technique to fire them all. No, you know, 
wrist trigger um, release should ha should be fired with a fingertip. You should always bury that that trigger in there deeper into your finger, at least the, the at least the first knuckle, if not the second, or use a different finger and still have it in, in a in a in a rearward knuckle instead of having it in the fingertips. Fingertips are very unreliable. Um, Handheld release, the same thing. You want your true you want your trigger to be moved as far back as possible. You don't want it all the way up. You don't want to be reaching for it. And it's the same thing with a with a wrist a wrist rocket, as I call it. If you have a wrist release, you don't want to have to be, you know, reaching forward to get to that to get to that trigger. It should be right there. Same thing, if you have your trigger too far forward on a on a handheld release, you don't want to reach for it. Because guess what? If you reach for it, Look at what happens to the rest of your hand. You're distorting it, you're twisting it, and you're trying to reach around that thumb barrel, and all of a sudden now your release angle's weird. If you even bend the front of your hand, it's going to get weird. So you don't want to do any of that sort of thing. Um, if you're shooting a tension-activate release, same thing applies. Make sure that the thumb peg, because almost all tension-activated and back tension releases have a thumb peg that you're holding onto while you draw this way you don't twist it out of the way and then when you're ready to when you're ready to get into your shot process you're taking your pressure off the thumb peg or you're taking your thumb off the thumb peg that frees your wrist to to turn and rotate as you pull back um so it's the same thing you should have that in a position where it's not going to change drastically for people who shoot a back tension i suggest that they not have a click on them because the one thing that'll happen, and I've seen it happen a lot, even with pro guys who shoot in the same division as me, and I look over and I can hear their click. And you see it in them. Like when they click, they actually shake for a second. Because again, it's an explosion their body wasn't ready for. And the shot hasn't even gone off yet. So I tell people, shoot without a click. You learn to adjust the tension on it. That's why they're all adjustable. You learn to adjust the angle or the tension on there so that it goes off in a comfortable way and it just doesn't get touched off in a hair. So that's how you adjust the back, back tension trigger for it without using a click. Again, some people live in the click, some people don't. The way I teach, I tell them not to use a click because that jumping and that vibration just causes them to break their concentration in the first place. So if you apply the technique, it's going to work. I'm going to try to do a YouTube video in the coming weeks once I finish repainting my shop over here where I can demonstrate how to actually do it. I might even do it with um, one of my socially distanced uh, students. I'll bring one of the girls here um, and have her do it, or I'll have her record it on her iPad from home because they all... The one thing about my students, they can teach the techniques I teach them to anyone because it's simple. It's easy to understand. Um, so... If you're ever at Willowbrook and run into one of my students, they're pretty easy to tell which ones are mine. A lot of them have the high-power archery jerseys on and that sort of thing. Don't be afraid to ask them. You know, hey, can you tell me how your coach showed you how to shoot? And they'll tell you. Um, one thing we're all about is passing on the knowledge that, that we learn to others. And it doesn't have to be a thing about, you know, well, I don't want to teach you. Why wouldn't... If someone asks us, we will gladly show you how to do it. That goes for me or any one of my students. Um, so now we have the method, as I briefly described on how to do this. And you have to know how to practice that. Now, 
we're stuck at home on quarantine. We can't necessarily get out to the range when we want to. Or sometimes we work odd hours and we can't get to the range when it's open. So what do you do? Previous podcast, I went over different practice techniques. Well, today I'm going to give you a technique that you can use to learn how to control the mechanism, meaning your arm and your hand is one unit. And it comes in stages on how to do this. So what I say is to get a piece of D-loop cord, like, a, you know, maybe two, three feet long or any type of string, okay, that's narrow enough that you can fit your the, the loop or the hook of your release on there without it breaking. Now, I don't mean the release breaking. I mean the rope breaking because it has to have a lot of tensile strength behind it. I suggest you don't have to go out and buy a whole spool of D-loop to do this. You can do it with paracord. Paracord is really good because it's really strong. As long as you burn the ends on it, you're never going to have a problem with it breaking on you. A thin paracord is all you need. Um, my students, I make release trainers for them. If you happen to see me at Willowbrook, ask me. I usually have one or two extra in there. And all they are is pieces of rope that I've set up. And they can be set to your draw length. But for this particular exercise that we're going to do, it doesn't have to be set to your particular draw length or anything like that. What you're going to do is you're going to take something that's heavy. If you have an old set of dumbbells or something like five pound dumbbells, you can use that. For the younger kids, you can use a soup can. You know, take something out of the mom's closet, go ahead and get that soup can. You're going to tie the rope around it on one end. And the other side, you've tied a loop that's similar to the size loop that you have on your D-loop. And what you're going to do is you're going to hook your loop on there, onto your release, and you're going to have your arm hanging straight down. Okay? So you want to make it so that it's maybe two or three inches away from touching the release when you pull that loop all the way up. So if I'm standing up and the you know the soup can or the weight that I'm using is on, on the floor, when I stand up next to it, if I were to pull the string up, it should fall short maybe an inch or two of actually being able to be hooked onto my release. The reason you do that is so we can have an expectation of you're going to hook on there, but I don't want you to have to reach all the way down and do that because if you go too far, it doesn't pay off with this. So you have it about two inches short. What you're going to do is you can go, you can hook your release on there. You're going to stand holding your release, you know, at your side, hooked onto that. Now you've got weight on it because now you it's pulling down on you um, from the weight. And you're going to relax your hand. And then all I want you to do is, with that weight, just keep your thumb, if it's a thumb trigger, keep your thumb on the, on the thumb, on the thumb barrel. And just relax your hand, relax your wrist, relax your shoulder. And what you're going to do is practice pulling your shoulder up. Okay. So you're pulling your shoulder up, but leaving your hand relaxed. And what's going to happen, you're going to see, is that if your thumb is wrapped onto that thumb trigger, as you pull your shoulder up, remember, tightening that chain, you're going to see the release pops and goes off by itself. And you can keep doing that and learn how to do that. Some people, extreme cases, I've had them use like full paint cans. Not a good idea. You drop the paint can, ruin the floor, your wife wants to kill you. Um, or, you know, me, I'm a little extreme. I have one of these big buckets of joint compound 
which I'm not going to have anymore because I've used it all up uh, redoing the shop. But one of those buckets like that, hook it, you know, tie the string to that, use that. I like a lot of, a lot of weight there because I have a higher pulling weight than most people. So you just hook onto that, start pulling your shoulder up, and you'll learn, boom, it goes off. Boom, it goes off. You can do the same thing with your wrist release. Again, keep it two inches short of reaching that, that string. If it's just resting on the ground, you know, if you pulled it up. And do the same thing. Wrap, you, wrap your, your trigger finger around the trigger. Relax the hand, relax the elbow, relax the wrist. And keep that, that finger around the trigger the whole time. So you're not actually trying to punch it. All you're doing is wrapping it around there. And then start executing and pulling up. What's going to happen is it's going to go off the same exact way. It'll happen for a tension release. It'll happen for a back tension release. They're all exactly the same. Now you're, you're actually able to learn the movement and you learn to control it. So now you're saying, well, I don't fire with my bow on the floor, but it's the same thing. So now we're going to take it and we're going to do this pointing at the target. So you're going to say, well, if I don't have my bow in front of me, I can't do this. I'm like, you can, and you're going to do it like this. So untie it from the can or bucket or whatever you tied that, that loop to. And now you're going to, you're going to take your bow. Now you know what your draw length is set for. Most people should know what their draw length is. Some, some people don't really have a clue. And the way you should do it is draw your bow back and you, you see what feels, what feels comfortable. And then let it down, go ahead and extend that string, take another loop, tie it on the other side, loop it around your thumb, okay? And extend it so that it, so when you come back, your shoulders are in exactly the same position that they were when you were drawing your bow. That's gonna mimic your draw. And what you're gonna do is hook it on and do the same thing. Again, leaving everything relaxed, Thumb on the trigger or index finger wrapped around the trigger. And if everything is relaxed, as you try to pull your shoulder into your spine. So now remember, you never want to pull down with your elbow. Your elbow should be trying to hit someone in back of you. That's the motion you're looking for. And as I pull, 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 boom, you'll see it just goes off. Where you never consciously used that trigger to set it off. But your thumb or your index finger being wrapped around it actually did it for you and again same way now you learned how to do it from a drop down now you can learn how to do it from drawing across just like your your draw and the one thing i will ask everyone to do is to have someone look at you so that when you're standing you know sideways to the target and you lift your arm up and this is why it's safe to do it like this as opposed to doing it with your bow lift your arm up to the target pull back and go ahead and look have them look. Is my elbow in a straight line with the with my arm? Okay? Because if it's coming out past my shoulders, that point of my elbow, my draw is too short or my loop is too short. If it's coming straight back, it's fine. If it's coming back past, you know, past my shoulders, you'll never get a properly ex proper execution because 
there's only so much movement, room for movement you have. And a lot of people who have a too long a draw will do that and all of a sudden, boom, they'll find it's not going off. Yeah, your draw is too long. Or it's going off weird. Your draw is too short. It'll feel normal when you get that elbow back. So like when I do seminars and I'm teaching people, the first thing I do is I'm like, okay, let's see what you got. Before I talk about technique or anything, I want to see what they're doing. And I have my little notepad there and I have my iPad that I'm actually recording their shot process. But I'll stand on a, on a ladder behind them and I'll look straight down as a drawing in front of me. And I can see, and when I photograph them, they can see when they're out of alignment. And it, I mean, it's plainly obvious that they are. Most people that I run into are too long on the draw. I mean, seriously too long. At the same time, other people that I look at, it's not that the draw is wrong. Their alignment's perfect and all that, but their elbow's still out of whack. It's because they made their loop too short. So a loop is a very personal thing. Some people say, well, you just had a quarter-inch loop and don't worry about it. Like, that won't work for a lot of people. It has to be combined with the proper draw length and the proper loop, loop length because if the draw comes to where it's supposed to, so you're touching your nose to the string, it's corner of your mouth, and not hanging it back by your ear, but your elbow is still cocked out, then we fix that by making the deep loop longer, which allows your elbow to move without increasing the draw length and causing a lot of excess face pressure because now all of a sudden it's twisted around your face instead of right next to it. So have someone look at that, you know? And then that can help you because a lot of times you trigger panic or, you know, something that is jumpy on, on the hold is because the draw length is incorrect or the loop length is incorrect. And like on every bow that I shoot, there's a different formula for it. I know what my draw is based on a string angle and I know how long the loop's supposed to be. So what I, what I have on my Evo NXT is not the same as what I run on my Evoke or what I run on my target bow, the Super Focus. They're all different. And you know, when new target shooters like myself, when we get a new bow, we can spend weeks perfecting that the draw is right. It's not like we just slap something together like and hope for the best. We know what works. I can tell if the mass weight is too heavy. I can tell if the draw length is off by an eighth of an inch. We know what the differences are. You have to know your equipment. So like you don't have to worry about, most people don't have to worry about having 12 different bows. You know, you're working with one hunting bow or something like that, no matter what it is. The principles are exactly the same. $2,000 target bow, $300 hunting bow, you know, even, even with a traditional bow, it's all exactly the same. Your principles have to be correct for how you work it. And as long as you know your equipment, you're not going to have a problem. So that was the technique on how to do this, um, how to do it effectively, you know, practicing and getting to know how it all works as I just dropped my recording device. Um, and hopefully it'll help some people out there. If you have a question about how this all works, like I said all the time, feel free to drop me a message on highpowerarchery.com. Uh, find us on Facebook. A lot of different ways to get through to me. And I'll be happy to, to answer any questions that you may have. If you catch me out at Willowbrook, don't, don't hesitate to come up and ask me a couple of questions. No big deal. 
I help a lot of people. A lot of times you'll see me out there with my students. And if I'm doing, you know, a, a student training session, the only thing I might tell you is let me finish up with, with this one first and I'll get right to you. Same thing goes for any kind of equipment problem you may run into. Um, so that's going to do it for this podcast. There'll be other podcasts coming up. Hopefully I can get another one released this week. Uh, the latest episode before this one was created last week and between everything else going on with all this madness happening, I didn't have time to finish the editing and get it out, but that released today. So this one will go out probably uh, Wednesday, the 22nd of April. And we'll see um, where it goes from there. So until we meet again, stay safe, shoot straight. Uh, be sure to like and subscribe to us on the podcast. Doesn't cost you anything to sub- subscribe. Um, And uh, we'll see you next time.